Welcome to this week's episode of season four, episode two of the Bill Bradley Collective. How you doing, Zach? Doing all right. It's been a hell of a nine days in January. <laughs> How you doing, Andrew? Hanging in there. Hanging in there like the rest of us. So uh, it's going to be a slightly different format because all of us have the same rant. So, uh, Zach, do you want to describe what the rants are? Uh, the rant we'll be talking about probably the horror version of when Mr. Smith goes to Washington uh, <laughs> and what happened at the Trump uh, Stop the Steal rally <laughs> and, uh, and, and the, the subsequent <laughs> riot and storming of the Capitol. Jimmy Stewart, dressed as the Q, the Q sage, would have been one of the great moments in cinematic history. I'm uh, sorry, bring know, me Mike Pence. You, you know, the election was stolen. You know that. <laughs> Come on. Um, and if we don't get to mention it, and I know we won't, the biggest disappointment of this whole event is when some yokel decided to hang a Confederate flag in the Holocaust Museum, the letter by everyone on the board, unfortunately, does not have the name Andrew Giuliani. He doesn't take over until next month. So Andrew, who could not read the letter, was also not able to sign the letter. And Andrew, so once we dispense with that, what's our topic for the day? The topic is a, uh, a review, a critical analysis of the 2020 NFL season, where we're going to look at the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the topical, and uh, our picks for the postseason. Very good. And given that all of us are in uh, fantasy leagues that we did not win, we know that we'll be very accurate on that. So, uh, Andrew. Yes, sir. Time for America's favorite game show, Alive or Dead. And uh, for those of you who need more of this, uh, join us on Patreon. Is that the way it's pronounced, Patreon? Patreon. Yes, yeah. 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 yep. ah. <laughs> Good. I learned about that two days ago. Um, so, Andrew, you've mentioned a couple times the 1976 Olympic boxing team. There were five gold medal winners. Who was on it? And which ones are still alive? I mean, who are the gold medal winners and which ones are still alive? So these are the five people who won the gold medal and who's still alive. If you pull up, four of them are easy. If you pull up the fifth one, I'll be very impressed. All right, 1976. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Yep. Uh, Leon and Michael Spinks. Yep. Howard Davis. Howard Davis Jr. is correct. The last one, I had to look it up and be reminded that it was him. Same division as Michael Carbajal, who won it in 84. So it's a, I think it was it's a tiny division. guy. Um, yeah, it's a tiny guy. Um, it's a tiny guy. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't have it. I don't have it. Leo Randolph. All right. All right. Uh, so, so, how many of these people are still alive? And which okay, one? so sh I know Sugar Ray and um, Michael Spinks are definitely both alive. Yes, they are. I want to say Leon Spinks is alive. Yes, in what has to be the biggest surprise of this. Because of this yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a huge surprise. Because you wouldn't have bet in 1977. You would have bet everything. And and I don't mean to be grim. Uh, <laughs> he's very very sick. So we're recording this on a Saturday. If on Tuesday <laughs> he's not still alive, that's not the, an you. the answer. Th thank you for that. Thank you. 
Um, I will say Davis and um, who was the flyweight? Uh, Leo Randolph. I don't know. I'll say they're alive. Leo Randolph is still alive. Just the way small dogs live forever, small That's people right. do too. Howard <laughs> Davis died um, died several years ago from lung cancer. Uh, very sad. Howard oh. Davis uh, did not win a goal. Of the five, he was the only one that did not win a title. Did he lost three title bucks. Right. Yes. I'll give you a uh, I'll give you a bonus question. Okay. Michael Spinks is the first person to leave the light heavyweight division after after winning a title without ever having a loss. Who is the next one? The Mike. next one. The next one. To leave the light heavyweight division without a loss. Um, he spent most of his time in the, in the light heavyweight division. I believe he's from Pittsburgh. Give me a sec. Give me, give me, give me a second. Um, how recent? Can, can I get a hint? It was I know it's a bonus. 90s. 90s, fuck. Uh, oh, the who's the guy that Jones ducked there? Uh, Darius Smikolshevsky? No, Joe, no, no. Joe Kozak. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Kalzagi. No, the, he's a British British guy. Kalzagi. Oh, British yeah. guy. Fuck. Yeah, so I, I threw you off there. All right. Oh, so, Zach, here's your question. Donald John Trump has announced that he will not attend the inauguration. There's something very important uh, about the way he chose to announce it, so I'd like to know that. But also, who are the other three presidents who refused to go to their successor's inauguration? Go Andrew Johnson. Yes. John Adams. Yes. Andrew Jackson. John Quincy Adams. Andrew Jackson wouldn't do it because he was vice president. He picked the successor. So it was Andrew... It was the person who Andrew Jackson beat, John Quincy Adams. And to be honest, of the three, I don't blame him. That is yeah, no. a nightmare. What will be historical about uh, Trump's announcement on this? Uh, it is the last uh, archived tweet that he will have from the Twitter platform in the yes. Hall of Records. If you, if, if you want to know what the Trump administration would be was like many years from now, Twitter decided that his announcing that he would not be there was an incitement to violence for his supporters. And I don't think any of us disagree with that. It probably was. I, so, I am gonna miss uh I'm gonna miss him just like tweeting and insult like calling somebody fat or saying like the Vanity Fair party sucks. Like you know, I'm gonna miss that kind of stuff. My favorite tweet about this was somebody said that his child his son said he wanted to be president someday and he said it, you know, he said, what should I do? He said, and the guy said, I told him to start a Twitter fight with Bette Midler. <laughs> because it was a Rosie O'Donnell Twitter fight that got twi uh, uh, Trump so much attention. And with that, we will be back to discuss the horror of this past week in uh, right after the introduction on the Bill Bradley Collective. Perched at the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Andrew, Zach, and Ed. So, we've made the executive decision 
that rather than do three individual rants, uh, we're going to talk about what happened to our country on Wednesday, because it is a it is a day that will be written about 200 years from now, if there's still a country and still a planet. Uh, Zach, you and I were kind of experiencing this in real time because we were on a uh, Zoom call together that ended up devolving into just staring at, tel- at the news and following Twitter and just being incapable of doing anything else but just staring into the void. What was your biggest take? What was your, like, first initial reactions that uh, you were going through? It, it was it was tough because it was something I kind of expected to happen. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk on Trump Twitter and Parler and the Donald.win and all those websites about, like, having this big rally and storming the Capitol. But I kind of thought it would just be like, oh, they'd come and, you know, protest outside the way we've seen normal protests. I didn't think they'd storm through the police, like, violently and with and armed and you know it's it was jarring to see people just running through you know barricades and and breaking windows and coming in and like since then we've seen videos that are even like oh we saw the sanitized version of it like you see some of these videos coming out now it's like it was way worse than what we actually were watching how about you andrew uh so i'm not like very connected at work throughout the day but um it was it must have been 2 33 o'clock in the afternoon I stepped outside for a cigarette just to kind of like take a walk and I, you know, opened my phone, I opened Twitter and I'm just seeing these videos of, of the early kind of part of this like wreckage. And I was just instantly uh, overcome by disgust and disdain and uh, which kind of, you know, be fermented into anger as the day progressed. You know, uh, two things you said, Zach, that one, it was, somehow not surprising, but also shocking, which has been kind of the, the experience of the last four years, is it makes sense, it makes logical narrative sense, given the groundwork Trump has laid, but when you, when you actually see it and experience it, it still seems shocking, as though, you know, at an emotional level, it's very difficult to, to reconcile with your preconceived notions of the way the world works. And the other thing is they did storm through some police and they did, I mean, obviously a policeman was killed. Policemen were injured, but they didn't storm through all the police because some of the police were opening doors for them and taking selfies with them. There were police, you know, and so that entire dynamic, which I think we'll still be investigating four months from now was something that, uh, I, I was horrified. I mean, it was horrifying and, it, and again, not surprising to see police officers taking selfies with these people who would then go and defecate and spread their shit on the walls of, of the Capitol, that desecrating the rooms where, where Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy were laid in peace. Uh, it was... I don't know. It just, it resonated in a way that, um, you know, I'm older than you guys, but those things still mean something to me. I mean, that's the room where, where, where John F. Kennedy was laid in state and, and Abraham Lincoln was laid in state and people are, are taking down pictures. So obviously a great deal of this blame is laid with the president who, 
you know, was tweeting out, call, inviting people say there and saying it was going to be wild. Where else do you really lay the blame? I'll start with you, Andrew. Who should we demand justice from or for? Listen, at the very heart of this demonstration was the idea that there was any doubt to be had about the results of the presidential election. So to me, any, any congressperson, whether it be in the House or in the Senate, that was going to contest said result is absolutely complicit in what we saw. And I think the two, the two biggest names in that mix, Senators Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, who I know, Zach, you're itching to uh, kind of get into. I'll cede the floor to you on that. Yeah, I mean, and, and these are the same people that you see saying, oh, we need unity and healing now. When after the riot happened, after the four people have been killed, after a police officer is critically injured at that time, these people are saying, oh, we need unity and healing. And then going on the Senate floor and continuing the same speech they were giving right before the riot that was ginning these people up about how oh, this is a fake election, how this isn't real, how this is all stolen, how this is fraudulent, how we can't certify these ballots. And then they come around and go, oh, well, we need unity. Fuck off. Like, you had your chance, and you decided to continue with what you were doing and making a bad situation continually worse. You know, in sports, we talk a lot about power rankings. But Dante talked about circles of hell, which seem to be the opposite side of power rankings. And I've been thinking about this a lot. As we, I, I, I try to come to grips with the a, a party that represents... 70 million people in this country, or at least has, and where the bottom is. And clearly for me, the bottom is, you know, as Andrew said, the people who refused to accept the election, not just before, but after. And you're talking about, you know, Hawley and, and Cruz and Trump. Somehow we don't expect very much from people who are in the House of Representatives, but, you know, McCarthy and Scalise, McCarthy was so supposedly so angry at Trump, he was screaming at him, but then went and did his bidding and probably also had an intern pick out the, the, the pink Starburst for him again. One step up from them is the people who fought the election beforehand, before the, the, the riots, you know, the Kelly Lefflers and the Lankford and some of those people. Above them are the people who at the election started the, you know, well, we have to, we have to look into it. And there's a lot of questions here. There were no questions about this election. He got his ass kicked. And the idea that, that it has held on, you know, that they cheated at the president level, but nowhere else is insane. That they have fake ballots that somehow have Biden's name and, um, you know, uh, in the swing, I'm trying to think of a swing state. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. Right, right, you right. Know, they, 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 they Taylor, right. They have Marjorie Taylor Greene and Biden on the same ballot. Like, that makes, it just makes no sense whatsoever. And it's, you know, and we, it shows that we have two countries because the fact that you can get thousands of people to show up now, do you think, uh, I'll start with you, Andrew, do you think that this changes anything? Does this, does this have a dramatic shift in the way we look at politics nationally 
that's going to last more than three weeks. It's it's going to have to, as long as we as long as this country's political system is dominated by two parties, for the Republicans to have any sort of future in that in that construct, um, they need this this base appealing to this base. It needs to be completely disavowed because it, it represents a fringe, a, a minority that is it's 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 not enough to sustain a presence in the in, in the national political uh, sphere. I think it's interesting that 25 percent of all people, 25 percent of all Trump voters are now in favor of his impeachment, according to a recent poll. I mean, obviously, a very recent poll. It happened yesterday. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future. Like this is not a one off. You know, on all the other websites that they can't shut down, like Parler and, and the Donald.win, which is basically a right-wing Reddit, um, and places like 8chan, they're still planning to have, like, a big rally on the 17th or on the 20th at D.C. Like, this is not going away. And I think that we just saw the opening salvo of a very rough few weeks to months ahead. Yeah, the, the call for unity strikes me as... You know, when a serial killer asks for forgiveness from his, the family of his victims, except these people aren't asking for forgiveness. They're saying, hey, this has nothing to do with us. Hawley's, who may be the worst person in the history of the world, because this motherfucker's had every advantage in life. He grew up incredibly rich. He has the best education. And somehow at the age of 32, he has managed to light all of that on fire. It's kind of amazing. He, he's whined about two things. He has only made two public comments. One was complaining that his book was uh, not going to be published. And the other was complaining that he was referred to as a, uh, compared to a Nazi by Biden. So somehow it is the party of white victimization. I mean, one of the things, you know, that, that struck me is... You know, I got kind of an argument with it at home afterwards, this argument about, well, you know, these are people who are, you know, uh, economically disadvantaged, but, but they flew to, to D.C. from throughout the country and stayed in D.C. hotels. You know, Trump jacked up the price of his hotel room. When you look at the people they're arresting, they're arresting uh, CEOs and attorneys and these people that have a state rep. A state rep, right. All of these people who have benefited tremendously because of their position and their race. And all they could think about is, yeah, but not enough. I need more. And it, it just was striking when you looked at it. The other thing it's going to be interesting to see is it was pretty telling that the response to this was very, very different from the response to the Black Lives Matter protests in DC. And the preparation was different. And I think we'll be investigating for a long time why that happened. Um, you know, the head of the subcommittee for the uh, Capitol Police is Chris Murphy from Connecticut. And I know he has said that they're going to be serious uh, investigations. Um, what's the guy? The guy from Alabama, Zach, uh, Mo Brooks. Mo Brooks. There's still Louis Gohmert, but Mo Brooks is in the running for the dumbest person in Congress. Uh, 
saying that this is what happens when you defund the police, except the Capitol Police just had a massive increase in funding. Do you think there's any chance, either of you, that there will be, I mean, clearly he'll be impeached. Is there any chance the Senate will even take it up? I don't even think he's going to be impeached. I think there's going to be a lot of noise of impeachment, and we're just all going to run out the clock for 11 days um, rather than actually impeach. I think it's just going to be a lot of, well, we'll do this if you don't resign. We'll do this if you don't resign. And then every day that burns a day, and then, you know, it's next Tuesday. I think they've drawn up the, the uh, articles of impeachment, though, and they're going to turn them in Monday morning. Do you think they have the votes on the Republican side to, to, to get it through? Should it get that far? I don't know. I think you're going to have senators who are going to look at this and say, we are never going to win again. You know, if Trump is in 2024, still around, still running, I'm, I'm, I would be shocked if McConnell allows a vote because it's going to put him in a difficult position. I mean, Josh Hawley would love to, would, would, is someone who, and Cruz are both people who could, I could see voting for impeachment to clear, to clear Trump off the field. Because they want to be president. Any any parting uh, words about this? I want to circle back to one name you had mentioned, James Lankford, um, who had been in the Hawley Cruz side of contesting the result. And after the events of, of that day, he was one of the first to speak once the chamber uh, reconvened. And I'll tell you what, I was struck by how shook he appeared. And it was it was striking. It was as if, in his case he was finally forced to reckon with uh, stoking the consequences of stoking the kind of rhetoric that he had been doing and then seeing the actual consequences of that. And then just he backpedaled in a big way in his, in, on his floor speech, the stupidity of the parties involved here of not knowing what they were reaping by contesting a fairly held election and seemingly being oblivious to what were, Again, consequences that were not altogether very unsurprising is kind of one of the big stories out of this for me. I know that the immediate reaction has been to try to pass this big domestic terrorism surveillance bill. You know, this reminds me a lot of when when there was a lot of emotion, the Patriot Act was passed. And then we really found out what the Patriot Act did and that it was used to basically spy and surveil Americans. And a bill going on domestic terrorism or something will be used to absolutely silence and, and squash like any leftist, any progressive protest, any BLM protest under the guise of, well, you're all domestic terrorists. Uh, so I'm really not looking forward to that debate and being called, you know, soft on crime or whatever, because I don't believe that, you know, the answer to violence is to crack down on every person. No, I agree. I, I would also say that I, two people that I have spoken very negatively about on this podcast, uh, I have felt over the last week or so, and especially on Wednesday evening, maybe I'm going to give him a second look. Ben Sass is someone who I think really has been shaken, not by the events Wednesday, but by the move to, to throw out the election from the beginning. I mean, he seems to be a guy who has looked at this and said, holy shit, what party am I in? Obviously, he has culpability about that. And I would like to hear him talk about that culpability uh, in you know, and I think some of that's coming. But I mean, he was clearly shaken up ahead of time. And then the other guy who proved to be a complete badass is Connor Lamb, who called it out on the uh, floor of the Senate 
We came closer to violence in the Senate than we have since the 1860s. It does seem like we are, in many ways, at the verge of another civil war. This one just way stupider. Um, but at least it's not about slavery. And I was also very happy to see Joe Biden point out that the way the police acted in this case was so different from the way they acted in previous cases. Biden put race at the front of this, and I thought that that was something I would not have bet on. He was clearly very angry. I mean, you don't throw Nazi uh, you don't throw Nazi comparisons around easily. But I think Cruz and Hawley kind of got her. They got there. So big move for them. And with that, we are going to go from uh, the terrors of Wednesday to the whatever it is of sun, Saturdays and Sundays and talk about the NFL. So uh, we will be back right after these words on the Bill Bradley Collective. On that journey to the top, you probably had to make a few sacrifices, including long-term friendships. But in Los Santos, perception is everything, and anything can be bought. You need to make a splash at social occasions and fill your fancy new house with tons of friends. If it's a glamorous occasion, we'll provide models and movie stars. If it's a business function, we'll bring along oligarchs and senior executives. Perhaps you want something a little funkier. We've got Mirror Park hipsters for hire so you can slip on your skinny jeans and show your alternative side. People of different ethnicities and sexual preferences will mingle and make you look good instead of the desperate, close-minded guy you are. Call Appropriate Associates today. Welcome back. We are going from the ludicrous to the entertaining and somewhat ludicrous and talking about the NFL. So we're going to break it down into four basic categories. The most 2020 thing of the year, the best thing of the year, the worst thing of the year, and then our picks for the final four. And since we're, we're recording this during the first game, but this will come out after all the games are over, we may be very embarrassed indeed when, we, when the first episode comes out. We'll start with you, Zach. What did you think was the most 2020 thing of the year? Uh, I think it was, for me, it was a period of time, roughly 14 weeks, uh, between the kickoff of the Jets season uh, and their first win, which included uh, a moment that I thought um, absolutely uh, described 2020, which was Greg Williams play cover zero, everyone blitz, win a game where all they had to do was not give up a touchdown uh, and giving up a touchdown, I believe uh, Brandon came downstairs afterwards. Was like, "You, you're right. Just, no, just sitting in the dark in silence. It was just the. It was just. Oh, this is what the year is for me. This is terrible. Uh, so basically, all of that was was 2020 in a nutshell for me. When Gre- Greg Williams co- calling the cover zero was the exact same thing as the guy saying just humor Trump about after the election. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? That was a very 2020 moment. Andrew. Yeah. So obviously that's, that's a great, that's a great pick. Um, I feel, I feel your pain, Zach, obviously. Uh, most 2020 to me was kind of the saga of the, uh, I think it was eventually three times delayed Thanksgiving, originally scheduled for Thanksgiving night game between the Ravens and Steelers. And it was one of those games that I think if there was a game, there were a lot of, and there were a number of postponements this year. Uh, if there was a game that was going to be played, Eventually, come hell or high water, 
It was going to be this primetime Thanksgiving night game that NBC had. You have NBC, one of one of the, the league's network partners that essentially pays what CBS and Fox do for a far less uh, amount of airtime, really. Um, but they have all this invested and so much more invested per game, really, uh, money-wise. And we saw how that played out, where the game goes from Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, going to do a huge number, big, you know, and it ends up being pushed to, to Sunday, and then to Monday, to Tuesday, to Wednesday. Where did it get played? I played on like Wednesday, right? Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. NBC was going to air this game, even at Wednesday on a weekday afternoon, come hell or high water. And I, I kind of reflects to me 2020 in how big business uh, was going to flourish come hell or high water. The rich were going to get richer, and the NFL was going to have what they wanted, and their partners wouldn't have what they wanted come hell or high water. Did you watch that game, Zach? Uh, I had forgotten it was on and put it on like for a couple minutes, and it was a very low quality game and turned it off. Yeah, um, it, 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 I, I thought that was perfect because it was just, it was such a great example of how the NFL has handled COVID, which is, you know, basically 2020. You know, you look at what they did for them, just moving everything they can. They did that multiple times, and then they made the Broncos uh, play with a practice coach, a practice squad quarterback because they're like, oh, fuck you guys. You're not, you're not pulling in money. <laughs> I was going to pick that as one of my two, one of my 2020 moments because it wasn't even a practice squad quarterback. It was a practice squad receiver who had played quarterback for, for one year in college. It was, uh, and that, he went one for 13 from the from throwing the ball. And it was, uh, yeah, I think that that was a very kind of 2020 moment. Um, that you picked, Andrew, including the very low quality of play. That game was unwatchable. And it should have been a great game. And, and, you know, it was just unwatchable. And now we're walking into a playoff series where the Browns haven't practiced until yesterday or until Friday. They, they didn't get to practice because of COVID cases. And they won't even bump the game back till Monday night. So, and, they have, and they have no coaches. The special they have team no coaches. coaches there, head coach. And going to have like, why can't Stefanski call plays remotely? I have twelve hundred and forty teachers teaching remotely. If you can, if you could teach sophomore automotive remotely, you could call plays remotely. Like, what difference does it make? Nope, can't do it. So, my pick for the most twenty twenty moment was the fact that Jason Garrett, who coached for a decade for the Cowboys, and no one thought he was a good coach, go to the Giants, where he runs an offense that finishes, I believe, 22nd or 23rd in the NFL, and is now being interviewed and seems to be in line for a head coaching job. 2020, if it was anything else, was a year in which the fact that mediocre white men continue to move forward was made just a national emblem. And I just think that that was, uh, that struck me. I watched that and I said, yeah, this is absolutely sums up what our year is. So Andrew, what would you say was the best? What was your favorite thing about 2020? Well, I got to get something in here with with the Jets, but I'm going to go back in time here to kind of frame this. NFL films for, for decades, they do, uh, they produce uh, half hour recaps of 
every team season. And the great uh, John Fashenda until his death would narrate these. And they're always you get the NFL films, music, they go game to game and they, whatever. It's, it's really good. There's a lot of them on YouTube. Check them out. There is, there's one on a, and I, and I can't find the clip. I can't find the exact team. It's a Lou Holtz coach. Yes. That, that Lou Holtz coached jets team freedom of metal winner. Lou Holtz. Yes. The esteemed. And, and that same NFL films summary of the Jets season, 73, 74, right around there. The parting shot from John Fashenda, the last line he says over the great NFL films music, he says, he says, the best thing you can say about the Jets season is that it is now over. <laughs> and for me, the best thing I can say about this NFL season at large is that it's over. And I guess more specifically, however, however sort of culpable we all are, none of us were very comfortable with it going forward as it was. I feel like the players were put in a very sort of compromised, adverse situation, to put it lightly. Um, you know, the season found a way to – it did find a way to bond all of us through through this, through, through fantasy football. Shout out to Shannon for winning the league that the four of us play in. Congrats yeah. on that. It was fun to bond over that. I'm glad that it's over, and I'm glad that there weren't any real um, catastrophic health victims of the year because what they were doing week in, week out was – you know, objectively, just perhaps not very smart, um, but they made it through and the athletes made it through by and large. Um, I'm glad that it's over and that and that nobody was severely compromised. Zach, what's your favorite moment? I have I have two. Um, and Andrew, on that, you know, I, the, the end of the season thing, I thought you had the greatest uh, one of the best tweets I received uh, in, in the last few weeks was when Gase was fired and you texted us. Uh, don't cry that it's over happy that it happened (laughs) (laughs) uh, Adam Gates the East Carolina new uh, (laughs) quarterback coach so I have two favorite moments one I think uh, is is actually pretty inspirational that's Alex Smith returning to play uh, this season after receiving what should have been a career-ending injury it was nearly a life-ending and ending injury and he really just worked his, his his ass off and came in I'm like you can see how much certain there was from the, the videos of his wife and his kids watching it. And, you know, she looks terrified. Last time he was on a football field, he was almost died. And him coming back and playing pretty well, you know, for a guy with one leg, basically, uh, I thought was really, was really great. It was awesome to see him play. Um, and now you know, we'll see how he does tonight in the playoffs. And my other one was, uh, I believe it was a Monday night game where Lamar Jackson had to leave in the middle of it suddenly. And the Ravens said it was because he had cramps, but he clearly just had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and he yes. sprinted off the field. Sprint, you know, sprinted is strong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they, you know, I, I've had cramps before. I've had cramps. You're not moving that fast when you have cramps. <laughs> and, and then him, you know, coming back and leading them to a win. And then I just loved his quote at the end in the, asked about it. he goes oh i didn't pull a paul pierce i just had to i just had to uh i had cramps but i thought it was such a great reference of the paul pierce one to just throw him under there too but yeah i thought that that was a very good highlight of the year so my i was tempted to go with james robinson an undrafted free agent who led the league in uh, in rushing which was a great story with jacksonville but there's really nothing good about jacksonville as a city or as a franchise my favorite moment of the year was the interception 
that looked like it was a pick six and DK Metcalf came chasing the guy from behind where this guy did a, I think it was a four, the, the, the quarterback, whose name I don't remember. I think ran a four, three, five, 40 in, in the combine. Metcalf started 25 yards behind him and tracked him down like a cheetah grabbing an ant, like a, the, you know, a, uh, an injured gazelle. It was the most incredible, like, oh my God, athletic moment I've ever seen on a football field. And it just reminds us, these guys are not us. The reason that you can get paid, you know, he'll make five, 14, $15 million next year because I think his contract's up. He's off his rookie deal. Certainly when he's off his rookie deal, he'll be making $15 million a year. And that seems like a lot to work 20 weeks a year. But you get it if, like, nobody else on the planet could do these things. And he's doing them as a matter of course. Uh, I really, really enjoyed watching DK Metcalf play this year. Um, and that was a guy who fell in the draft. He was like the 14th receiver taken. And, you know, there have been guys who, who've already been cut who were taken after him uh, or taken before him. That moment where he just tracks a guy down is just the most amazing thing I've seen on the football field, I think, in my life. Yeah, that, that play was just awesome to watch. <laughs> that blew up on Twitter, like, immediately. A man shouldn't run that fast. Like, you shouldn't be able to catch another fast athlete with a 20-yard head start. And, you know, it, it is incredible to, to, that he dropped so far in the draft because people were concerned about his route running. And meanwhile, he's out here doing this and having incredible seasons. But well, he didn't really catch a lot of passes in college. And it makes you realize that what happens in college and what happens in the pros are almost irrelevant. I mean, they, you know, production means almost nothing, you know, comparatively. So what was your, what was your, what did you think was the worst thing of the year? And as Jet fans, I'll let you both go first. Andrew? For me, a lot of, there are a lot of bad things this year. The Jets season being one of them. Um, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to pivot though, pivot away to something that, that has come out this week, actually. And perhaps it's a recency bias thing. Perhaps it's something that I had thought of ranting about this week and, and what would have in an otherwise, in a different week, I would have certainly ranted about. And that is the situation in Houston with Deshaun Watson. So this year, minus, I would say, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, I think an argument could be made that Deshaun Watson might have been about the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the league. His team, the Texans, finished 4-12. and and normally, normally you hear that shitty. You would have they would have had the third pick in the draft, but oh well, they they traded that away, so they don't have that third pick. That belongs to the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> the Dolphins are much better than the Texans. So this week it came to light that um, the Texans are in search for a new coach. Uh, Deshaun Watson uh, was told by friend and colleague Pat Mahomes uh, about how great one Eric Bieniemy, the current Chiefs offensive coordinator, presumptively going to be a, a, an NFL head coach within the next couple of weeks. Watson, your star quarterback, your franchise player, literally the only bright spot on this woeful franchise, uh, goes to goes to management and says, you know, puts in a word for Bienemy. The Texans don't request an interview with Bienemy. And now Watson, you know, is is rightfully, justifiably pissed off. And a lot of to what 
Ed had mentioned earlier talking about uh, Jason Garrett's situation, his employment prospects. One thing about 2020 as the world was just, you know, swept, you know, this country especially, all of this demonstrably bad shit happens. And the NFL, in a way, it stays it stays the same. And in some ways, it stays. The worst parts of the NFL stay the worst parts of the NFL, where white upper management sort of holds back, holds, holds down, uh, you know, the black voices in their employ. And I think the Watson situation is really kind of despicable. And I hope the one silver lining of it is that they deal him to the Jets. Uh, yeah, for, for mine, I think the worst thing this season was uh, the NFC East. They were uh, awful, including an ending uh, for the Giants where Peterson just clearly just tanked on the fly and decided to just not let the Giants go to the playoffs. But we end up with a 7-9 and nine Washington team with a home game tonight against an 11-5 and five Buccaneers team who is significantly better. And Washington is not as good as 7-9. and nine. Uh, They're a significantly worse team than that. They just happen to play six games against the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Eagles. And I think, like, just the playoff structure and the way that it's been set up this year, uh, they've got to do something to stop just this kind of anyone can get in if they win their division and then they get a home game. Cause it's like that game's at eight 15 by nine o'clock, it'll be over. You know? And I, I just, you know, that's not what you want if you're watching a football game. And that's probably not what the NFL wants from a quality standpoint. So my take, and I think I can make this take every year is the backup quarterback play. And some of the people who played backup quarterback in the NFL this year, um, we saw yesterday, uh, I mean, last week, the backup quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, whose name I have already forgotten, but was a backup in Canadian football, started. Uh, Colt McCoy started several games. Matt Barkley started games. Jared Stidham, who no one thinks is any good, has started games. Chase Daniels, who has made a fortune being terrible, started games. Jess Driscoll started games. And uh, Colin Kaepernick, who is 31 years old, still does not have an NFL team. As long as the NFL is going to boycott someone who is clearly, unquestionably, one of the best 30 quarterbacks in the NFL, and that is giving every single benefit of the doubt to the NFL. The fact that they continue to trot out people who they know are terrible. Mason Rudolph, who actually played decently, but was horrifying last year. The fact that they are willing to play Canadian League backups and not a guy who brought a team to the NFL championship, even though Jim Harbaugh was his coach. That's something that I think every year it happens is a disgrace Every time I watched a backup quarterback play, I thought, like, God damn it, I could be watching Colin Kaepernick right now. And that's never going to happen because the NFL owners and the NFL itself is racist. And it makes it really hard to watch it and really hard to enjoy it and really hard to respect yourself for worrying about who's going to be in the final four, which is our next issue. And I'll go first on this one. I believe the best two teams in the AFC right now are the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens. Would anyone like to guess the last time the, the uh, Chiefs covered a game? Super Bowl? 
last year? No, they've got, they covered. I mean, they, they covered <laughs> early in the season. I'll bet it's been at least. Six, I'll bet it's been six weeks. <laughs> November fifteenth, when they beat the Jets. Okay, is the last time they yeah. covered a game. That yeah. is roughly two months ago. It is impossible to win by four every week. That just doesn't work. The uh, Ravens have the best point differential. I think the Bills are the best team. They can't be the final four because the Ravens will play the Bills first. But I think those are. I think one of those two teams will make the Super Bowl, and that's the way I'm looking at it. And I think in the NFC, it's clearly the Packers. And I, I don't even know who I put second. I guess Seattle. I think if Seattle, I think Seattle has an opportunity to have both their offense and defense play well for three straight weeks. That has not happened this year once, but it could happen because when their offense is good, it's really good. And when their defense is good, it's really good. But they've never been good together. So I, I think those are. Those would be my picks, but the big takeaway is I don't think the Chiefs are making the Super Bowl this year. I think uh, in the NFC, the two teams I think are gonna are, are gonna end up making it in the end are one is the Packers. The Packers are probably the best team in the NFL right now. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is playing about as well as he's gonna play, and then the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks have let's face it, Russell Wilson. Um, he's gonna be in the playoffs, and Pete Carroll, for as much as I despise him, is actually a Really good coach. I think that they will be able to find a way to win enough games uh, to get into the to get into the finals. I mean, they start off against a Rams team. You know, they're facing Jared Goff, who doesn't really have a hand right now. You know, it's like he's all, it's dislocated his thumb and stuff. It's it, you know, if they have an easy first round, then it's kind of you know, what are they going to get? They're going to get Tampa Bay or Washington in the AFC. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping the Bills win because they're up by three right now with six to go. Because uh, I think we're going to see the Bills and Chiefs in the finals and probably one of the most fun uh, AFC championships uh, we could imagine because Josh Allen and Bills are a lot of fun to watch. And Pat Mahomes just seems to be able to score and do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And uh, we saw that last year that's when he came from behind in you know, two games where he was down 20 points or 15 points. So I think that'll be the AFC championship. Andrew? I'm going to let uh, sort of the lessons of last year's postseason sort of guide my, my thinking here. Um, and I'll start in the AFC, where I think a lot of uh, pundits and experts have kind of um, anointed Kansas City as in a similar way as to how they had anointed Baltimore last, last season. And obviously Baltimore comes in and they get upset by Tennessee last year uh, in a game where there was horrific luck. There are a lot of drop, not luck, but uh, just mistakes, turnovers, dropped balls, namely. To, to Ed's point about the Chiefs this year, they seem to be, as reigning champs, kind of just kind of sleepwalking through games. Not since the Patriots in 03 and 04 has a team been able to repeat. It's really fucking hard to repeat as champions in the NFL. The team in sort of like the inverse, uh, this year's Ravens team in a way kind of reminds me of last year's Chiefs championship team, where I think about late October, early November, I think the Ravens were kind of left for dead. Uh, Lamar Jackson was not playing up, has not been playing up to the level, uh, the MVP level of last season. They were kind of on the, the, the playoff fringe. Uh, they closed hard. They closed fast. I think they're the hottest team in the AFC. They are actually they, they are my pick to come out of the AFC and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. NFC. I think about the NFC title game last year, which was uh, the Niners 
blew out the Packers. And the Niners blew out the Packers about five weeks beforehand in the regular season. Um, I think about the NFC, I think about three teams. I think about the Bucks, the Saints, and the Packers. And I think about Drew Brees having to go to, because uh, it goes through Lambeau, it goes through the cold weather. Uh, I think about uh, Drew Brees at his age, you know, spends all year in the Dome, having to go there in what could be terrible weather, having one again there. I don't see it. The Bucks, I'm not. I'm not rooting for it, sure as hell. I think a Bucks packers game would be had, wh- whether they play if in the you... conference title game or in the divisional playoffs, Bucks packers the winner of that game, is going to represent the NFC in the uh, championship. Um, and I look back, like last year, where uh, midseason the Bucks blew out the Packers. And I believe they did it at Green Bay, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong but it was uh, the only blemish really on, on a great Packers season. I think whoever comes out of a Bucks packers matchup uh, represents the NFC, and I would kind of maybe lean towards uh, the Bucks. And you know, to wrap this up, I think that the one team we didn't show proper respect to is the Tennessee Titans, and I think that's appropriate because Tennessee is represented by Marsha Blackburn, so fuck them. And with that... <laughs> We will not tell you what we're going to talk about next week because God only knows Trump could drop an atomic uh, nuclear bomb on Portland and we'll, you know, be talking about something else. But until then, we will see you next week on the Bill Bradley Collective. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Facebook at the Bill Bradley Collective. We'll see you again next week.